Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, where it's my job to introduce you to people from the world of commercial property. We're talking with investors and thought leaders about their experiences of the commercial property world and sharing our own lessons from the last 20 years to give you practical know-how so that you can follow in their footsteps. If you've ever thought commercial could be your next step, but it just seems too confusing and opaque, then you've come to the right place. There are so many exciting opportunities in this dynamic sector, and I'm looking forward to pulling back the curtain and sharing them with you. Welcome to the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, and I'm your host, Jerry Alexander. This show is all about commercial property investing for the private investor. Whether you're just getting started or scaling up your portfolio, through interviews, tips and lessons learned along the way, we want to give you the inspiration, knowledge and confidence to enjoy this great cash flowing strategy. Welcome back. Today I'm going to chat through our evolving offer. A couple of episodes ago, I mentioned that our customer demands are changing and we're having to adapt our model. So I'm going to go into that in a bit more depth. But before I do, I just wanted to say thank you. I've been at a few networking events recently and some podcast listeners have been coming and saying hello and giving me feedback on the podcast, all positive, which is fantastic. But more importantly, they're giving me information on what they're actually taking and doing and what they're applying. And quite a lot of people are out there researching sites, working on their investment criteria and taking action, which is great to hear. And in fact, there's been a particular interest in container storage recently. I don't know why. (laughs) It's such a great model. And I'm going to do a short episode on that soon, kind of an update on our container site that we purchased during uh, lockdown and how that's turned out and whether it's turned out the way we thought or whether it's better or worse. So I, I'm going to go into that soon. I'll do a wee short podcast just to give you an update on that one. So look out for that. I was on a one-to-one call this morning as well and a great question came out, which was what one thing would you recommend that newbies don't do to improve their chances of success in flex space. So really, this question is about what are the key mistakes or the key things that they need to try and avoid? And I thought it was a great question. And of course, there are loads of different answers depending on your circumstances, what it is you're trying to achieve, what it is your end goal is, and of course, what type of product you're looking at, what market you're in. There's all sorts of things. But they asked for one specific answer. So the answer I gave was layout design and not focusing on the maximum amount of net lettable square footage or square meterage. So often in the market, everything is, the common denominator is how many square feet have you got to let. But in flexible space, it's a bit more complicated than that. It's about the overall income. And this really leads me into the topic I want to talk about today. And I've, I've touched on it a couple of times recently, just about that juxtaposition between letting loads of space and getting the maximum optimization you can out of a building and actually generating the maximum amount of income. And these two can fight against each other because traditional thought is the more net lettable square footage I have, the more income I'll have, or at least the more I create. You've got a finite amount, of course, of gross square footage in a building, but how much of it can you divide up and utilise to actually rent out to customers? But in the flexible space sector, there are communal areas and the efficiency of your building is determined by the structure and the shape and all the different things that are there if you're doing a refurb, of course. 
But it's also determined by the amount of communal space you want to provide. And I'm not just talking about toilets and corridors, but more about social spaces, meeting spaces, places where people bump into each other, where they can have a quiet time on the phone, where they can have impromptu meetings, all that sort of stuff. Now, the problem is, depending on how you structure your business, you can't always generate a direct income from those types of spaces. But what it does do is it increases the value of everything else around about it. If you do create those spaces in more of a central location, then you may be able to generate some other income from that, whether it be through memberships just for that space, event um, use or renting out for events, and some other different bits and pieces that are there that you could potentially create as incomes. But at the end of the day, the actual real value add is onto the rentals that you can charge for the other units because there's extra value there for the customers. Not to forget, it's the stickiness that adds too, of course. So I'm just going to talk through how our model's been developing. And of course, over the last few, what feel like short years, <laughs> maybe <laughs> with COVID and before that, um, and COVID's accelerated all of this, but the days seem to be numbered for locations that have just one long corridor with lots of individual similar sized units. And we have some buildings like that and they um, are still well occupied. But I'm noticing there is a shift now in the customer demand for more of those communal spaces and places where they can get out of their office or their workspace and utilise other spaces to do different types of activities so that they feel more relaxed, they've got somewhere else to go, they have those meetings, as I say, they can um, maybe just sit down and have some food. I'm not talking about building a canteen, but just creating extra options for them that everybody shares the cost of rather than them having to have that in their own unit. So about 20... 20, yeah, just before 2020, 20, end of 2019, we were trying to figure out what we were going to do on the top floor of the flour mill project. And it was a case of, do we try and get one tenant for this? And we'd been trying that for a bit, on and off, and we hadn't. But then we were getting the opportunity to let out a floor that we developed for co-working to one client. And it was an offer we couldn't refuse. So we decided to split based on what we were getting from customer feedback, our co-working offer and our business lounge offer. I'll go into that in a little second. But basically, rather than having one kind of shared space, we created two. But we gave them two tiers of pricing as well. One was premium, one was more entry level. The business lounge is nine to five access, Monday to Friday. The co-work is 24-hour access, but the only way you can get a membership of that space is paying for a specific room or a specific desk. You can't just wander in and sit down. It's not There's no touchdown space in that. That is what happens in the business lounge. Now, when we did that, it, we decided to put lots of small rooms around this small fixed desk co-work area. And it opened just kind of in the middle of summer 2020. So in terms of the UK, we'd come out of COVID or we we're just sort of coming out of COVID, the first phase anyway, and sort of trickling back to work. And that space filled up really quickly. And in fact, it's, it's, main, it's maintained that um, occupancy. It's been really good. But what's been really interesting is that people seem to really enjoy the fact that they've got their own space, even though they're quite small and I have to say reasonably priced, <laughs> they are 
enjoying the fact that they can just break out into an area where there's coffee on tap, there's some comfy seating, and there's an opportunity just to get out and relax and meet other people. Now, that to some people listening to this, that'll be old hats. Like, well, yeah, that's been going on for ages. But I just wanted to sort of go into the fact that that space, that ring, as it were, of, of private spaces around the outside and the central core of co-working and breakout space is slightly different than ACO work, where you may have a different tiers of membership. This one is just, as I say, either private office or fixed desk. That's it. It's the only way you can get in there. The business lounge, on the other hand, is more for people who want to come in for maybe a day a week. They don't necessarily want to pay for a desk. They maybe want to have some meetings. They maybe come in the city once every now and then. It's almost slightly more social, that space, albeit people are in there working, of course. But the, the price point is different. It's not premium, this product. It's a lower price point. And it can double up as a venue space. So in the evenings, we do rent it out for events. But that's not really what I want to talk about. What, what I want to say is that the offer that was happening on that top floor, we've decided to move into our new development, where we have, again, a central area, business lounge this time, with a, a perimeter of offices and small workshops and units so that people can break out into this larger space. And what it allows you to do is create a higher premium in the offices, create that stickiness, and also provide an income through the business lounge by selling memberships. Now, I'm not saying that memberships is absolutely the best way to go. It does depend on your offer and what you want to do. But it's taught us that as we've gained scale in more locations, which I think is probably important for this model, that our customers are increasingly interested in two things. One, potentially going to another location and using their same membership. And two, what we're getting is more inquiries for people that want, there's maybe six or seven in the team, but they don't want a six or seven person space. They only want a three or four person space because they're not all planning to be in at the same time. So it's one of these changing trends. And what we're managing to do now is we might sell a space for maybe a three a three desk space to a team of six. But then on the back of that, we're selling three memberships to the business lounge for the additional team members. Whereas in the past, we may have just sold them a three-person space and it's up to them how they utilise it. But now our model is orientating, this is the key thing here, our model is orientating away from necessarily one business with however number of employees to multiple members. So if you were a customer and you came in with a team of five, traditionally you might have got a lease or a licence from the operator for your space. And it would generally have five desks because there's five of you and your team. But what's happening because of the sort of hybrid working and the way people are, are changing their work habits is that they don't necessarily need a space with that many desks. So what they're doing is they're taking smaller spaces and then your challenge is, well, how, how do I, should I monetize that more? How do, how do I do that? Well, with a business lounge, it allows you to sell memberships and the office is sold on a membership basis. So for instance, if somebody, going back to the example of six, I hope I'm making sense here, you go back to the example of six, if the office they take, space they take is a three-desk um, or a three-person space, well, that equates, in our language, to three memberships. But because there's six team members, they need another three additional memberships to be able to utilise the room, to get door access codes, to be able to use the business lounge, to get Wi-Fi access codes. 
So just hang that there for a second and let me just go over to the tech side because tech is making this possible now as well. So on the internet side, what used to happen was most companies, when they came into a shared space, if they did utilize the internet from the provider, which in nine times out of ten cases they would, then they took a, an internet package for their business. And the business held the network, as it were, and their individual customer or their individual staff would then log in. The way that the, the hardware worked and the software was they were then allocated to that company and they would have their own little network. Whereas now, if you think about it, when somebody... Let me ask you a question. Have you heard of SAS pensions? They're a fantastic tool for business owners to wrap a commercial property up in a tax-free bubble. SAS can work particularly well with the CMO strategy to generate money both inside and outside of your pension. It goes without saying, I'm not a SAS expert, but let me introduce you to someone that is. Bryn Walker has been advising on SAS pensions for many years and has been a long-term supporter of the CPI network. SAS and commercial property work incredibly well together, but there are many nuances, and Bryn will make sure you don't stray from the right path. Look in the show notes for the partner link and book up a SaaS discovery call with Bryn. He's in your office and you want to send them a drawing or some photos, you don't go through the server or anything else anymore. You probably just email it to them. So it goes up to the cloud. Then it comes back down from the cloud onto their phone. Or you probably even, I'm an idealist, but you probably email yourself sometimes when you're trying to move something from one phone to another item. Whereas in the past, it might not have been done that way. So a lot of the time now, people just want internet access to the cloud because everything they're doing is going up there and coming back down either to them or to 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 mother colleagues but basically your your internet provision is becoming more commodity and more individual based which is interesting the second thing is the membership cards or the access codes and the way that the software is now being developed for managing these spaces it's more about the individual which is great because what it means is you can communicate directly with the individual about events, about security, safety, whatever it is that's going on in the building. And the language is changing to memberships. So it becomes much more normal to describe a six-person team as six members who have an office with three spaces and then they have three access um, membership accesses to the business lounge. Of course, the others who are already in the office, the three, they have access to the business lounge too. So it's a model that's coming in because of COVID and, and all those different things, but it's also a model that's being supported by technology. So Wi-Fi was one, the software in the cloud is the other, the emailing you know, to yourself and, and to others. All these things are changing how people are, are interacting with our businesses, our building, sorry, and the tech side. So if you think about it, those two things are kind of coming together now and creating the opportunity for you to treat people as individual members. Now, I have to just say, when we invoice, we don't invoice individual members, of course, unless they request it that way. We invoice a company. And at the end of the day, the driving number one revenue factor in this is rent. All right. It's important for valuations, right? You can't, you know, trying to get a valuation on a membership subscription model will be challenging. So we still invoice for rent for space. Of course we do. And it's still the most significant part of our income. And you need to keep cognizant of that. But treating everybody on the face of it as a member and an individual of the building allows you to do these other things. And it also creates more stickiness. So anyway, back to our model. 
That won't happen for us in every building that we have, because some of our buildings just don't quite work like that. We haven't got the capability to create some of these communal spaces and business lounges. So that's one thing. The second thing, though, is when you've got more of an open floor plate and an open plan space, as we got in our more recent project, it gives us a chance to experiment. And we're always experimenting. So we've really taken what happened in the flour mill and now developing that out in um, Saltar House, where we've put that central area with private offices and meeting rooms and all that sort of stuff around the perimeter of it. There will be some others that are a little bit further away. And some people will like to be near that and some people not necessarily. But that's fine, you know. We're just continuing to experiment, and that's just the way it is. So having more locations does allow us to, to provide that multi-site access, right? I, I appreciate that. And for some of you, you're starting out or you've got one site, it's not so relevant, okay? But what does this stuff actually mean to you? Well, first thing to summarise is, what, what am I talking about here? So Memberships is a language we're starting to use. We're not using it across all our sites, as I say. The design is changing. The amount of, I would say, the building efficiency in terms of net lettable space is lowering. So we might have typically 70% net lettable space rather than maybe 75 or 80 because we're providing more communal spaces. But it is allowing us to create more value and therefore more income for the remaining net lettable area. The second part was just that that multi-site thing. If you are thinking about doing multi-sites in the future, that it's maybe a language you want to think about introducing. You don't have to, but something to think about. Anyway, what does this mean for you? Well, if you're focusing in on flex space, fantastic. Of course, if you're not, <laughs> then maybe this doesn't mean too much to you right now, but it's a growing requirement from clients. And at some point, you might not be able to step out of its way. So it's something to keep your radar on. Even if you're not offering flex space right now, a lot of the big boys, that is where they're going. So you need to keep an eye on it. Second thing I would say is make sure you get really good help with layout design. How you're going to split up your area and create these types of spaces. And create space that allows you to... Provide that glue, that stickiness for those customers. It might be tea points, it might even be a coffee shop, depending on the size of the building. Breakout areas, phone spaces, nooks and crannies or corners for impromptu conversations and those meetings to occur. It's really important. Start small, of course, but think about scale over time. How might all of this affect your offer as you progress through this business? Make sure you really research and understand how the tech can help you, by the way. You know, what, what can it provide for you? And more importantly, what does it provide as an interface for the customer? And most importantly, how do you manage this type of offer? Because actually there's a lot of moving parts there, but there is software in terms of customer management that can help you with that. I, I am going to try and bring them on a supplier for that. So that'll be another conversation at some point. I'm making all these promises. Um, of course, listen to the podcast to learn and keep up to date with what is possible, or at least what we're up to. And it goes without saying, if you're interested in delving deeper into this kind of stuff, then do consider coming to work for us for a period of time. Um, get more in-depth details on systems, work practices, and layout design that we're using. I mean, obviously, these are the sort of things we go into on our, our mastermind and those sorts of things. So if it, if it is an area that you're really serious about, then I would suggest you jump on the website and have a look, commercialpropertyinvestor.co.uk, about some of the ways you can get involved with, with working with us. It It's continually evolving. It's a market that's always been changing. But right now, there's those two things going on, tech 
which is definitely improving now, not in isolation. You're not just finding door access has got better or um, Wi-Fi's got better. Some of these things are getting more joined up, which is really important because you don't want to be entering customer details in many different platforms and different areas to get different things to work because that's really time consuming. And although you're trying, I mean, the number one thing is to make this as frictionless as possible for the customer, but you don't want to be in the background doing loads and loads of patching together and repeatedly putting in details. And, you know, it, it can be challenging, but these things are starting to come together. So that's the first thing. The second one is the customer demands are changing. So it's, it's important to adapt. Right. Anyway, if any of you have any similar experiences or developments you're working on where those synergies are coming together, it'd be really interesting to hear from you. Or indeed, if you've totally disagree and you think, no, this is nonsense, Jerry, it's all about square footage and I'm going to get the absolute maximum square footage I can out of every building. That's fine. Let us know how you get on. So thanks for tuning in. Numbers are still going up, by the way. I really appreciate everybody that's listening to the podcast. Thank you. And for those that must be recommending it, we, we've now actually been downloaded in 99 countries around the world, which is fantastic. But if anyone's actually going anywhere exotic over the next month or two, do me a favour and just download an episode <laughs> so we can get to 100. Right. Anyway, remember, you can't learn to swim without getting in the water. So get your big girl or big boy pants on and get into the commercial swim. enjoying the content delivered on the CPI podcast. Even though it's free to listen to, it actually takes quite a bit of time and financial commitment to deliver each and every episode. Did you know that by leaving a positive written review, you, yes, you will have a direct impact on the visibility of the podcast. And that's really important because by reaching a wider audience, it helps our team to continually improve the overall content that we deliver to you week after week. For some of you, leaving a review will be second nature, but for others, it might be a first one. Open your podcast app, pick the CPI podcast and search for previous reviews. And on iTunes in particular, click to look at all of the reviews and then you'll see an option to leave a written review. Go on, it'll only take two minutes and it'll really make our day. And we genuinely read every single one of them.